0: And, and we usually get down, um, you know, a Christian who's put, is someone who's put their faith in Jesus Christ alone for the forgiveness of their sins, that they um, have trusted in Christ, that he died on the cross in their place, right, and that he raised from the grave, so they're, they're saved uh, from their sins, but they're also saved to God in a, in, in a relationship with God. Jesus Christ has been raised from the grave. Sometimes we Sometimes we, we have the gospel, you know, we, we, we just communicate. A Christian is just someone who trusted in Christ on the cross, but we then, we kind of leave them hanging out there on the cross. And um, so it's important to always remember he's, he's been raised from the grave. And and, and, and and that that knowledge and that understanding and um, that exercise of our faith and trust in Jesus Christ is, is what Christianity is, and, and it's what our doctrine communicates. And uh, most of the time we don't have trouble with that. But the other question I I, want to ask for today is, what what then does that look like? So what does it look like in our lives to be a Christian? And I don't know about you, but I I grew up in in a culture, in a society, and and I would say we're, we're, in a lot of ways, we're still like this, but it it was very much a Christian culture that was very, uh, if I can say it this way, decisionist. Like, like like I grew up in a Christian church that, that, that emphasized the moment, emphasized when did you put your faith in Christ. Um, oh, I was seven years old, and I, I had the moment, and I, 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 it was then I put my faith in Christ. But m- part of my growth in growing up as a Christian was that I too often left it back there. And being a Christian is a continual... Um, a continual relationship with Jesus Christ, which flows into our lives. And so the gospel is not something that was merely a thing of the past, but our salvation um, is, is continued in the sense of God is sanctifying us to look more like Christ. So it's, we're definitely justified. You know, that, that moment is there as we put our faith in Christ. But through our lives, he begins to grow us to look more like Jesus Christ, and so that's called sanctification. That's the, that's what I wanted to, to look at today. Is, is what does that look like in our lives? So you have these these big words. Um, you have what you believe. It's it's orthodoxy, and and, and then you have um, how you behave. And that's your orthopraxy. It's it's your beliefs, and um, we typically, again, like I said, we typically know a lot of what we believe, but we we tend to not emphasize the way we believe. And so if we have trouble answering that question, what do Christians look like, um, we need to wrestle with that because our world, uh, the culture in which we live in is in desperate uh, need for answers. Uh, In fact, the, the, the American church, I believe, needs to be needs to keep asking itself this question what does that look like because in a day and an a, in day and age when our society will continue to assault Christianity on the validity of what they believe we need to not only be grounded in what we believe but also we need to show what we believe in the way we live so it's it's not something that's just stuck in our minds it's not something just in the past but to be Christian is to to, to be transformed and to practice the gospel in relationships. And so um, in, in preparing for this, one of the things that I was thinking about, in fact, I've been thinking about this for a long time, is that Christianity and a lot of churches in America are typically flooded with this very individualistic, flashy, experience-driven, uh, uh, pastor-personality-centered uh, Bible study clubs where we, we are busy with a lot of Christian activity, but we, we need to ask ourselves, um, is it being lived out? What is the purpose of the church? And so I think sometimes we need to look at how do unbelievers view the church? And, and a lot of times they view it as an event almost like going to a sporting event as, as uh, something that we, you, you kind of go to on Sunday, but it really has no relevance to your life. And, um, and I, I, I am just, I, I, I think what's interesting is that um, this past week, we are coming up on the heels of the 500th anniversary of uh, the Reformation. And in fact, when the, there was a time 500 years ago where the church Began uh, where the church started to, to not look like what the scriptures described and prescribed. And so believers started to see that, and there started to be some cries for reform. And so in the 1500s, um, the church became, began to get corrupted um, and, and show itself in, in the popes and the councils and the authority structures that were set in place. And so some of those, those cries were of reform. They, they looked at what was going on in the church, and then they looked at the Bible, and they said, this doesn't line up. And and so you have uh, a guy by the name of Martin Luther who was quite bold and um, stood up for, for what he believed in. And so you had this resurgence of, of doctrine uh, of the early church, what they held, which was held in the Scriptures. And so you have this really a reformation of the, of the church began. And so if we look... Um, I, I want to say, if, if we if we look at the American church today, I would I would say that we need to pray um, and think. In fact, that maybe we're we're in need of another Reformation in, to, in terms of going back to what the Scriptures say and actually living out what Christianity is. Because there's far too many churches that um, that just become an event on Sunday and don't live it out. And so. Um, as members of the body of Christ, we are to love and demonstrate Christianity in our lives. And that's one of the biggest things I think the Lord is teaching me um, in my life right now. And so as we look at Scripture, I wanted to point you to um, Romans 12, 9 through 21. So if you have a Bible, turn to Romans 12, 9 to 21. And this is, this is, a, this is a fun passage because it's just filled with little statements that, that Paul gives us. ...on living the Christian life. I and mean, you could title it a, a number of different things. Like the marks of a Christian or the characteristics of Christian living. It's, it's really a picture of a, of a Christian heart that is played out in front of us. So if you turn to Romans 12, 9 through 21. And, and if you know anything about Romans, of course the Apostle Paul wrote the book of Romans... Uh, to the to the um, to the Christians in Rome, and really the first eleven chapters, really all of Romans, it has to do with the righteousness of God, and the first eleven chapters uh, demonstrate that those that righteousness has been um, uh, has been given to us in Christ Jesus. And you come to chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, and it's really in light of everything, therefore, in light of everything that's happened, um, this is to be our spiritual act of worship. And in verses 3 through 8, the members of the body are to use their gifts in serving. And then in verses 9 to 21, those members are to love and act like Christians. And so... uh, let me let me just open by by praying, and then we're gonna we're gonna jump in Romans 12, uh, chapter twelve verses nine to twenty one. Heavenly Father, thank you uh, for the opportunity just to bring Your Word, and um, Lord, I, I pray that as we as we read Your Word uh, and as we preach Your Word, that uh, that You would help me to be faithful to Your text, um, knowing that it's the Living Word um, that You've given to us. It's the written Word given to us, uh, so that we might know you better so that you might transform us by your spirit. And I pray that as we read this, uh, as I read it, that, that your spirit would, would work in our, our lives and our hearts to help us um, to be reminded uh, of Jesus Christ so that we might live like Jesus Christ. We pray this in his name, amen. All right, so Romans 12, fun passage we're going to start with verse 9. It says, let love be genuine. Let love be sincere. Um, this, is, this is a Christian love. It usually goes by the, the word agape. It uh, describes God's love for humans. And, and it's also to be Christian's love for one another. And it's to be genuine. It's to be sincere. Another version says, without hypocrisy. So, so the, the Christian love is to be the real thing. It's to be it's to be genuine, not counter, not counterfeit. And so, Paul's writing in the, the, a Greco-Roman culture, which would have uh, loved the, uh, the theater culture, where where in, in the Greek world they would they would wear masks, and and so Paul is saying, you know, don't don't wear a mask. Be the real you. When when you love God, you love other people. And 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 this is something that 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 he has given us commands all throughout scripture. In fact, there's like I think there's like 60-something one another commands, love one another, honor one another, be compassionate towards one another. Over and over, all throughout the scriptures, there's these one another commands. 1 John 4 says, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. And so I, I think we're... We're at a time in our culture where uh, unbelievers see Christians as irrelevant. And so how will, we, how will we help engage with the culture where we can have a bridge to the gospel? And a lot of times that's just by loving them and getting to know them and caring for them and not having them see us as just kind of box check- checkers to where, oh, we just told them the gospel and we don't really care about them. You know? so, so get to know people, love them. And love is, is, uh, just like the fruit of the Spirit, it's the first really attribute here in this long, long list that kind of wraps everything together. Um, A few questions just to kind of get us to think through in terms of relationships. How does the real you show up in relationships? What areas are you most likely to wear masks? You know, maybe it's work, maybe it's at school, you know, maybe it's with, with a group of friends. How, how does God show us love? How did Jesus show love in, in, in his ministry and life? And this is, this is really good for us to go back to see how Jesus demonstrated his love. Because oftentimes we get opportunities to demonstrate love when really we don't want to demonstrate love. It's always in those times where, where it's most inconvenient, you look at Jesus's life and you know, he, he, he oftentimes would try to get off into the wilderness and pray and spend, spend time talking to the father. But if you look, most of those times got interrupted, but he, he was filled with compassion and he used those kind of divine opportunities to express his love. Or if you think about children who in that culture were looked down upon and they would come and run up to Jesus and his disciples were rebuking them. But Jesus said, no, let the little children come to me. In fact, They are an incredible model of Christ-like faith. And so uh, there's so many opportunities every day in our life. And so part of what what we need to start seeing is our life as not separated, not this dualistic idea of we're Christians on Sunday, but Monday through Saturday really has no relevance to our Christianity. No, it's actually 24-7. All of our lives have an opportunity to be Christ to other people. Um, so how how can the church show love? How how can how can we take off our masks and be the real thing to people around us? And that's what Paul's encouraging us to do and let love be genuine. And so when love is genuine, it 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 also leads to kind of a disgust of that which is evil. And and that's what he says next. He says abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. So it's this this picture of something real sticky. Um, the word hold fast has the idea of something sticky or even glue or cement. Um, hold, hold fast to that. Uh, be, what are you attracted to? And sometimes in, in our culture, we've got to be aware that, that, that we can be desensitized by some things, when in fact, there are some things that should shock us, you know? And that's part of the tension that we've got to kind of um, hold, hold that balance of, of, of being shocked by what's in our culture, but not like hiding from it. And so we, we want to hold both of those. And that, that's really hard. Uh, but Paul's saying, abhor what is evil, but hold fast to what is good. Um, I, I often think of, uh, recently been thinking about how, how the first century Christians, you know, how did, how did they, um, what, what was their means of growing close to God? Because they didn't have a Bible. So, you know, growing up for me, it was, you've got to have your, your QT. You know, if you, want, if you want to make it as a Christian, you've got to have your QT. So you've got to have your quiet time. Um, and I, I, so to this day, um, which, which happens a lot more than I'd like, you know, if I don't spend time in God's word, I have this immediate guilty conscience that's going around in my mind um, that, that God must look down on me in some, in, in some way because I didn't have my QT my quiet time. Um, but then I think, well, how did the first century Christians do it? Because I'm not sure they had a QT, a quiet time. It's time where they spent time with the Lord. They didn't have a Bible um, necessarily. But so, so really, is it's not it's not necessarily this moment in time, quiet time, but it's it, we wake up and, and we, we want to be devoted to the Lord 24-7. Our life is a, is a spiritual act of, of worship that Romans 12, 1 and 2 says. And so that's really our heart. And, and, and trust me, yeah, quiet times are great. Um, but we're, I'm just trying to provide some balance and some um, understanding to what I think the Scriptures are calling us to do, and that is kind of a seamless devotion to God, not, necessarily, not separated from our, our life Monday through Friday. Uh, so abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good, love one another with brotherly affection. So there's two words here. Uh, the first one is... Uh, or the second one, brotherly affection. You guys might have heard of it's. It's like the Philadelphia uh, love, brotherly love, sibling love. Although it's interesting because a lot of siblings um, don't always love each other well. But uh, it, it's the it's the love of siblings. The, the other love, love one another, is the word uh, philostorgos, which is, is 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 a love within the family. So so. It, it's just natural to know that if you have a family, if you have a son, if you have a daughter, if you have a mom, if you have a dad, if you have a husband or a wife, um, aunt, uncle, if you—all of us have family, right? Because we've been born. So that there's a natural like connection that this is a special thing that God has put together. Um, but Paul's saying, "Love one another with brotherly affection," and oftentimes he's speaking of the church together to love one another. And I think you can, make it, you can make the case that Jesus elevates the spiritual family even higher than your physical family. But why is it that um, a lot of churches have very distant relationships with one another as if we're just kind of a mere circle of friends? And so that's, that's one of the things that uh, the Lord has been convicting me of. You know, how, 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 well, do I, how well can I love the people in my church and if I want to love them well, well, I've got to I've got to know them well, and that that'll take sacrifice, you know, um, to get to know people, to spend time with them, and it's hard because we're in a busy culture. But what would, what would it look like to treat each other more as a spiritual family, where we actually know each other, right? Um, so, uh, old and young, um, uh, you know backgrounds, just the kind of the mix of, of uh, the Christianity is a diversity, but yet unified. All right. Um, so, so I think what we need to do is get this group over here and mix them in with you guys and, 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 and start talking to each other. Uh, no, I'm just I don't, I, don't um, I leaned over to someone and asked Is this the His Hill crowd? Okay. That's awesome. I'm so glad y'all are here. Um, but you guys have so much to offer to this group here. And this group here has so much to offer to you guys. And so that's part of what um, the scriptures talk about. As, as the body, we need each other. You know, the, the hand can't say to the eye or to the foot or the ear, I, I don't need you. We all need each other. And so um, Paul is, is suggesting, or he's c- commanding us to love one another, to, to, um, to demonstrate that that Christianity with each other. Um. And the world will see that, too. The world will see that you, when you are one, they are able to see that. You don't even have to say anything, and they notice that. And Paul next says, he says, outdo one another in showing honor. It's a great, great way to say that. Uh, the word honor there is the word price. Um, it's the word value. So for me, as I think about how I treat people, because, uh, you know, no matter who they are, no matter how how important the world sees them as, I've got to view every single person made in the image of God because they have honor, they have value. And Paul says, outdo one another in showing honor. And So the way we treat one another, we have so many opportunities for this. I think of Epaphroditus. Not many people have heard of him, but if you want to, it's Philippians 2.25 Philippians 2:25. Paul says, kind of a mix. right now I'm reading from the NIV, but it says, "But I think it is necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger whom you sent to take care of my needs. For he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill. Um, Indeed, he was ill and almost died. But God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but also on me, to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. And it goes on to say, Well, therefore I am all the more eager to send him, so that when you see him again, you may be glad that I may have less anxiety. So then welcome him in the Lord with great joy, and honor people like him, because he almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life to make up for the help you yourselves could not give me. And so Epaphroditus is one of those guys that... that, um, you know, may not have been heard of and, and, and still isn't heard of that much. But he was one in which Paul Paul sets forth as a model of someone who was willing to set his needs aside to help, to help Paul and, and to help the church. And so we want to outdo one another in this, in this love that, that, that Paul is commanding us to do. And Paul also sees in the next verse a, um, our diligence or our lack of diligence. He says, do not be slothful in zeal, but be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord. So everything that we do is really, we we are to live in light of what God has done, what God is doing, and what God will do. And so, especially in Romans, all the first 11 chapters had to do with what Jesus Christ has done for us. And so in light of that, Romans 12, 1 and 2, we are to, to, to live our lives as a spiritual sacrifice to him but also Romans 13 uh, live in in light of the day the coming day that Jesus is going to return and so the time is limited and so that's that's all that's why I always enjoy reading revelation because it kind of wa- it's kind of a little wake up call of of man this 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 life is short and and I need to start I need to start doing what God has ha- have, would have me do as a part of the church to serve and to um, to, to reach people because the day is approaching, and so one of the things in thinking about our zeal, um, do not be slothful in zeal, do not be slow in zeal. One of the things that help that helps us is thinking about our gifts. What what are your gifts? You know the spiritual gifts. We we, we don't often talk about that in in the church. Universal, But what, what are our spiritual gifts? And Paul gives us different passages to t- talk and think through that. And oftentimes you, you see that when you actually start serving in the church and people confirm those gifts and, and you're able to be exposed in different areas. And so um, Paul is, is, is encouraging us to, 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 to kind of get off the couch, to not be lazy. And, and um, think of like Proverbs 6. Where it gives us, you can write that down for, for later. Proverbs six gives us an example of of really of the ant of all things and how they work and and not to be um, kind of lazy. And and so and as we wake up from sun up to sundown, let's empty our tank for the glory of God. And and how is we need to start asking ourselves, how is our ministry, how is your ministry, how is how is the collective church's ministry, because we're usually, the way we speak in our culture is the church should do this, meaning the paid staff should do this. But as a body of believers, we are ministers who gather together on Sundays to grow in maturity. And as witnesses of Christ, we are then sent out to be effective servants for him. And so we need to start asking, how, how is our ministry in our lives, Monday through Friday, and Paul says, "Don't do not be slothful in zeal; be fervent in spirit." It's the word that um, has the idea of like a boiling pot, um, you know, emotion, excitement is not is not a bad thing. It's it's uh, it's it's really based on what God has done, what He's doing, and what what He will do. And to be honest with you, I I need more people in my life that that show some excitement because sometimes I get sometimes I I honestly I get too serious and and I need and and I get down and I get up and I and and we all kind of go through that but how how important and and how timely is it when and and you all know this but when people speak into your life or oh hey I was thinking about you or they send you a verse or they're praying for you and those kind of things it's um it's it's really sweet and the Lord uses that in our lives to to remind us of you know, we have something actually to be excited about. You know, we have an incredible gift that God has given us, shared in his word in the person of Jesus Christ. And we, we have that treasure and and, and we, we, we have it throughout the week. And what, what are we going to do with that? We're as a steward of this indescribable gift as Jesus is, is called in, in Corinthians. And so um, some of us, if, if, you know, if you're a little bit more passionate and a little bit more excited, I'm thankful for you because I, I need you to kind of um, wake me up a little bit and, and um, help me be a little bit more excited. I, I read an illustration once where I hope this is appropriate, but it was called a, um, uh, it, it was talking about a piano player. And <laughs> it was saying that this one piano player was um, more of a one buttocks piano player. And that is, they, they were kind of playing off one. Um, with a little bit more excitement and, and back and forth and kind of getting into it, whereas some of us are more like two buttocks type piano players and we just kind of sit there still. Um, but we need, we need to be a little bit more, um, we, we need more of the one buttocks types Christians out there. So I can say it that way. Um, I'll probably never be asked to come back after that. But, uh, the piano player is going to be observed from now on, unfortunately. I'm sorry. Um, be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. You know, we're, we're really built to serve. That's what's amazing. You, you look back at uh, Revelation. If, if you read the end of the book, Revelation 22, verse 3, it says, No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and His servants will serve Him. So if you want to know what we're, we're going to be doing for eternity, there it is. His servants will serve Him. We're, so we're, we're built to serve. We're built to serve. So serve serve the Lord. Next verse, rejoice in, or, rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. It's interesting because rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. These things are often combined in in other places in Scripture. And so I I have to ask myself, well, how how does that go together? You have tribulation, but then you have hope. That doesn't make sense. But God often puts these together. Romans 3, I'm sorry, Romans 5 says, We rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, whom, he ha- whom has, uh, who has been given to us. And so Paul says rejoice in hope. Now we use hope in our culture as more of kind of like wishful thinking. But hope that Paul is talking about is a, is a fixed hope. It's not wishful thinking. It's, it's the hope that, that uh, Jesus had as he fixes his eyes upon um, the, the cross and to endure to 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 go to the cross and, and as as believers we are to fix our eyes on Jesus Christ it's a fixed hope it's it's certain um, because Jesus is the object of our faith Romans eight talks about that as well that the the weight of glory you know if we if we if we experience trouble and persecution in this life which we will, and which God communicated to us in the scriptures that, um, that, that, that Jesus told us. You know, they, they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. And one of the questions I have to ask myself is, if I'm not being persecuted, what does that mean? And it's definitely not always like this, but, but I, I do think sometimes if I'm not being persecuted, maybe that means I'm not being too distinct. Maybe that means there's really no difference from the way I live my life and what the world sees. And so not that we're going out looking for persecution. And, and obviously under God's sovereignty and his grace, we live in a country in which we can practice Christianity freely, although that, that, is, that is dwindling. And so um, interestingly enough, we are, you know, we are now being called this post-Christian uh, culture, which really looks more like the first couple of centuries that they experienced, and so there's starting to be more similarities in that. But persecution is is going to be um, a part of being a believer. Tribulation is going to be a part of the believer. And so Paul is encouraging us to keep our hope fixed on what Christ has done, to look at what he has done, and to set our eyes upon him and upon the hope that he has secured. And that hope is grounded in the resurrection, and so we can be patient he says, "Be patient in tribulation." The picture I have of this is, um, again, no, no, not something to recommend necessarily, but the uh, the movie Braveheart, um, as they're standing there with their spears and they're being charged by the English. They're saying, they're saying, uh, or William Wallace is saying, "Hold!" He's like, "Hold, hold!" And so it's that idea of just. Patience in the midst of, 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 of tribulation. And God uses that to mold us and to shape us to act like Christ and to be more like Christ. And then constant in prayer. So this is the, the word here is, is to um, hold fast to, to give attention to, to be faithful in prayer. And I don't know about you, but I, this is an area where, where, where I really need to grow in. There's uh, and, and and I, I need to be around people who model this really w- well for me, and 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 I do have people. I had someone text me this morning and just said they were praying for me, and he didn't even know I was preaching this morning. And um, but just to be able to see people who are faithful in prayer and who model this well, that it's not just uh, something that they believe, but something that they 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 talk out to God. And so being faithful in prayer is something that 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 as Christians we need to model and we need to live out. And a good practice of that is actually just taking the psalms. I mean, they're real prayers, real life things. Read a psalm before dinner, read one before you go to bed, uh, read one before a football game. It do- doesn't matter. Um, make it a part of, of who you are because it, it, it helps model good prayer to the Lord. And so Paul's saying be constant in prayer. He says, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Now, this is one that, that, that will really uh, convict a lot of us. So this is, this is the word koinonia. It's the sharing. It's the, the fellowship. Um, Paul is saying the word is to pursue, to take the initiative. The early church did it in Acts 1, Acts 2, where they devoted themselves to, to um, the relationships in their lives, and they, they shared their possessions and so we live in a culture that's very distant from people and, and part of that's just the way it's just the way it is. So um, we need to work on, I need to work on how, how do I how do I get to know people in my church when we live 30, 40 miles away and we drive far to get somewhere. How, how, do we, how, do we, how can we be more intentional about that and having that fellowship with one another, but also the fellowship with our neighbors. You know, so that's the easiest thing that we, we can do with, with people right around our house. Um, or people that are involved in our work or our our, um, our, our, our school and our friends, and how, how can we get involved in that that fellowship and, and, and share things with people because our, in a world that 's bent on getting and getting and getting, the Christian should be bent on giving because we know that what we we, we know we can 't hold on to anything that we have. so I think Jim Elliot said it best. Um, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. So we know that this this world is temporal and we're not going to hold on to everything. And so um, let let us be people who live like that. Showing hospitality, seeking those things, those times and those opportunities that we can do that. And then the last part is Romans twelve fourteen through twenty one, and um, we're running out a little bit of time, so we'll, we'll kind of read through this and conclude. But Paul uses verses fourteen to twenty one to really deal with relationships that uh, that don't always go that well. And if you're alive, you've probably experienced relationships that don't go well, and both within the church and outside the church. To be honest with you. So, Paul says, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. So, this, this, this is hard. When you've been hurt by somebody, when you've been persecuted by somebody, what's the first reaction that we have? We, we want to retaliate. We want to get back to them. We don't want to bless them. <laughs> but, but, but Paul says, or Paul says in, in Jesus' commands in Luke 6 and Matthew 5, to, to, to love your enemies, to love your enemies. That's real easy for me to read and say, yeah, I agree, but what does it look like in my life when I've been betrayed or when I've been hurt or when somebody's told me one thing and then they've done the opposite? That's a lot harder to do because it's in those moments where we, we kind of want to start praying some of those prayers that the psalmist prayed which are, which are called in, in, imprecatory prayers, which which are more like, Lord, please burn them and f- call down fire upon them. And so, um, but Jesus, the New Testament pattern is more of um, give them your cloak. If he slaps you on the face, turn your cheek. And so we are to be people who, who really do what God did to us. We are to do that to other people. So while we were... Sinners, while we were enemies, Christ loved us, and, and Jesus Christ died in our place while we were yet still sinners. And, and so we are to do that. We've received the mercy of God, and so our role is to be um, mercy givers to other people. And we are also to rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. So, so this past week was the biggest illustration for me is that you can watch the Astros if you watched any of the uh, World Series, and... Um, you can, you have one guy get up there and strike out, and then the next guy hits a home run, and the guy that struck out, he's not sitting in there pouting; he's jumping out of the dugout, super excited for this person. And obviously, that's a sports illustration. But what does it look like to rejoice and be excited for someone in their life, but also to weep with them? Just being there, having a relationship, and sometimes, sometimes we feel like we, that makes us really nervous because we feel like we have to solve all the issues, but a lot of times, you know, the Lord just wants us to be next to that person and just to be honest and say, I, I really don't know what to say, but I love you, and I, I want to um, pray for you. I want to be here with you, and I'm here for you, and so Paul w- wants us to, to, to do that, to be there for people. And in verse 16, he says, live in harmony with, with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. So what does it look like to live in harmony with one another? You know, Paul often commands us to have a, the scriptures command us to, have, to live our life in a gospel-worthy manner, to strive for unity, to keep the bonds of peace. But you, you can't really do that passively. The implication is you've got to be intentional about um, maintaining unity within the body. You're going to have disagreements and there's going to be conflict, but um, there's a good way to handle that. There's a gospel-practicing way to handle that. And it starts with whoever's involved. It starts with your humility before God, looking within yourself and taking the log out of your own eye before you see the, 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 the speck in another's eye. Um, but we need to live in harmony with one another, not to be haughty. Associate with, with the lowly. You know, how many people in our, in our world aren't... Um, how many people in our world are being left out on the fringes where we have opportunities to help them? And I think the book of James addresses this a little bit. Like if somebody comes into your church with shabby clothes and, you know, don't give preference to the person who's rich over that person. And so some of that we just need to be reminded of over and over as we look for, look for people in our, in our world, in our life that aren't... Um, being talked to, that maybe feel lonely, and, and it's amazing to see the statistics on how many people are just lonely out there. So we have this loneliness hole that that can only be filled by the Lord, and it can only be be um, be helped by by believers who can point them to the Lord. Never be wise in your own sight, and that's why we need the body of Christ. I love the body of Christ, and I love the church, and the church is something that that we, we need to keep, um, uh, keep living out. Because, because if it's just me by myself, here's the thing, I, um, every way of seeing is a way of not seeing. So I, 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 have, um, I, you know, I have certain um, biases that I, that I come to the table with, and, but they're also a way of, of blinding me. And so I need people, I need the body to help me see those things. And in verse 17, Repay no one evil for evil, But give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. So here's the thing, because we're running out of time. Everything has either been paid for on the cross, if you're a believer, so if, if arguments and conflict has not been settled, we need to be intentional about practicing the gospel in those relationships, not repaying evil for evil, but blessing, loving. Um, but, but everything ultimately has been paid for on the cross by Jesus Christ as a believer. Now, if they're not a believer, it will be paid for in the future when he comes back to judge. And so they will, it will be dealt with. But it's something that we've got to remind ourselves about, that God is in charge. Uh, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. And, and then finally, to the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. So it's not, it's, not just, it's not just not saying bad things about our enemies. But he's actually saying, he's quoting a verse, but he's actually saying, give him something to eat. Help him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. So I think the idea is that the idea is it's going to move him from sin to shame to repentance, and that's that's really that's it's it's simple. It's not rocket science. Um, it's it's going back to Jesus Christ, seeing, humbling ourselves, and seeing our sin, and and returning to Jesus Christ. And so, lastly, he says, "Do not overcome." Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So don't allow your love to be turned into hate. Respond with the love of God in their lives. and we, 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 need, we need His help in that. Um, so as as we conclude, what I mentioned at the beginning is as I as I think about church ministry, as I think about, um, and I say church ministry, I think about your ministry, my ministry as a as a believer in in the body of Christ. I think we're we're coming off the heels of a 500 year reformation of 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 the church but I think um, but I also think that as I look at churches and I, I see different churches, the mentality of of ministry is often on a Sunday only or it's the pastor doing all the work and so I think we need to We need to to reverse that and see biblically that the pastors are to equip the body to be the servants and ministers to go out and do the work. Um, I think there's a priority crisis, that we're busy with a lot of stuff, but we substitute that and and, and that ends up feeling like godliness, but we're just busy and busy when in fact um, relationships are key. So... All of these things that Paul has said, um, I, I wrote these out on, on um, poster board. I was going to do a little illustration, but I think we're out of time. So um, what, what, what I want to say is that it's, it would be real easy for us to say, do this, all these little things, you know, um, love, gen, lo, love be genuine, abhor what is evil. It, but to be honest with you, you'd probably forget a lot of it. I would forget a lot of it. Um, we need to go back to, to, to the cross of Jesus Christ and to remember that it starts with, with Jesus Christ, that he has secured um, the, the, uh, the salvation for those who put their faith in Jesus Christ. And so as believers, we need each other. We come together on Sundays to be built up, to be matured so that we can go out and love people. Um, and that's why, that's why Jesus said you know, two greatest commandments, to love God and, and to love others. Um, and, and the world will see that. The world will see that. So if we, if we look back at 2,000 years of history, the church has always seen as authority the Scriptures. The church has always held the Scriptures as authoritative. Okay? Um, but as time went on, as time went on, the church began to see tradition and man-made authority as holding um, on par with the Scriptures. That system got corrupted, and the Reformation um, returned back to the sources of truth and reestablished the Bible as authority. But after the Reformation, in the modern period of the 17, 18, 1900s, the Bible started to be doubted, and reason became the number one focus of authority. You know, if it doesn't make sense, then I'm not going to believe it. If science can't prove it, then I don't agree with it. And so we, we developed some cures. We put a man on the moon. Um, and, and, but what happened is that that didn't get us, that got us some world wars, and, and things didn't work out so well. And so now we live in a postmodern world where reason has kind of been taken off on, on, on the throne of authority, and really nothing is left except maybe yourself and what you believe. And so th- I'm saying this to help you understand what the world, how they view truth. How do you know truth? And so we have an incredible opportunity as 21st century Christians to put the source of authority back front and center because all those things are still happening. That, that reason, you know, people, if they can't believe it, if they, if they can't understand it, they're not going to believe it. Um, but we live in a postmodern world that says if i don't if you can say what you want to say and that's true but i believe something different and so as christians we need to go back to god's source of authority lived out in our actions in our relationships through these verses 9 to 21 this is these are the marks of christianity and they help us point people back to jesus christ as the savior of the world so as as we close um, be reminded of that, and know that 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 we need to be restorers. We need to be um, people who go back to Jesus Christ. And let me let me just pray, and we'll we'll uh, adjourn.